0: I'm so excited this morning as uh, we get to continue with the series that I kicked off a couple of weeks ago that we've entitled Living in Babylon. a study in the book of Daniel and uh, I said this, this is going to be a series that's a little bit longer. Uh, We're going to be in this series probably most of the summer as we walk through this. But here's what you're going to know. This series is so dang relevant to our lives. Over the last couple of weeks, and honestly, the last couple of months, I've had people come talking about issues they're dealing with in their everyday life, on the job or at school, and they're wrestling with this. How do I live my faith out in this challenging circumstance? And that's exactly what Daniel is all about. In fact, there's a question that we're going to see play out over and over again in this book. It's this. How do we live for God's kingdom when we reside in this kingdom? What does that look like? And the, the answer to that question isn't always easy. It isn't always simple, and it absolutely isn't always clean, right? I like clean things. I like black and white, easy. I know exactly what to do in every moment, but that's not how it is. This is a tension that we wrestle with in our faith. It is not simple. Every, you've felt it before and you're on your own. On the job, you're like, when do I talk? When do I say something? When do I not say something? There's a wrestling that happens, but it goes so far beyond that. And I think this morning we're going we're to get a principle from this book that I think is going to give us a way to think, something to shoot at as we follow Christ, and I think it's going to be helpful to us. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1, as we're going to be there. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse number 8. Would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read our primary text here this morning? I say this all the time. There's nothing sacred about staying. It's just what we do to say, God, we care more about what you have to say than what I got to say, all right? Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, says this, but Daniel Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Thank God that's not my diet. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us. And God, I know this is a message we need to hear. So Lord, I pray against any hardness of our hearts, any deafness in our ears, And I pray that you would open us and allow us to hear your voice speaking to us, not mine, but yours. And I pray that we'll walk out of this place with a different perspective. We pray in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You can be seated. Last week, if you miss out, Micah preached an amazing message around here, passionate message, talking about the gospel. If you missed it, you need to go back and watch that message. But he talked about this idea of following Christ, of, of turning from ourselves and turning toward God and submitting ourselves to him, making him Lord. Talked about that, putting our trust and our faith in God. And this is, this is the step, this is the beginning of the journey of faith. But how many know that's only the beginning, Right? Faith is not a point in time, it is something that begins and continues, and I think there is a word in our modern church that we don't pay much attention to, we ignore a lot of times, and the word is this, it's called sanctification. Sanctification, what is sanctification? Okay. My definition, and you'll understand it in a moment, my definition of sanctification is becoming who you already are. Let me explain what that means. You see when you come to faith, when you submit your life to Jesus, what happens? It says as you put your faith in him, it says the righteousness of Christ is put on you like a coat, right? And when God sees you, he sees you that he sees that perfect, holy, righteous Christ. That's who he sees. And at the same time, when you put your faith in God, what happens? It says that we are adopted into the family of God. You become a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. It doesn't matter if you feel like it. it. doesn't matter if it feels that way. No, that's the spiritual reality. That's what's taking place. That's why the good news is so dang good, okay? It's because you're a son or a daughter. You are pure. You are righteous before God because of the righteousness of Christ. But I say sanctification is what? It is becoming who or what we already are. What does that mean? It means you begin to live as a son or a daughter. When you, you are a son or a daughter, but you start to live that way. Why? As a son or a daughter, you have a different set of values. You have different things that you do. There is a standard of holiness that you understand as a child of God that you are called to live with, and so it's this process of becoming that, living out of the fullness of who God already says you are, and in the same way, it says in Romans that his desire for you is that you would be conformed to the image of his son, of Christ. Listen, the good news of the gospel is when you submit your life to him, God looks and sees the righteousness of Christ. But your desire as a follower of Christ is sanctification, that you slowly become more and more like Christ. That's what it means to follow Christ. That we submit to him, that we make him Lord, that we do what he desires, not what we desire. The problem is that living this way isn't always easy in a world that has completely different values than we do. It's hard. It's really easy for us to get mixed up in this world, isn't it? How many of you like ice cream? You like ice cream? Okay, we got ice cream out there. All right, take 10 seconds. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them what your favorite ice cream is. All right, talk to your neighbor. (laughs) All right, all right. All right. How many of you out there like soft serve? You like soft serve? That's a sin. No, that is not a real ice cream. Okay. It's artificial. That is fake. Okay. No, that's fine. My wife loves soft serves. Her favorite is DQ. That's fine. Okay. I don't, li- I'm not like, whatever, I'll eat some soft serve. That's fine. I like the stuff that you scoop. When I have scooped ice cream, my favorite is cookies and cream. Anybody like cookies and cream? That's my personal favorite. Wherever I go, give me cookies and cream. Okay. But if you know me, there's another kind of ice cream that is my absolute favorite comes from a very special place known as Cold Stone. Do you know what I'm talking about? Cold Stone is my favorite ice cream in the world, okay? If I go to Cold Stone, here's what I I get. I get the the French vanilla with brownie just smashed into that thing. It's amazing. And I'm such a good pastor that this morning, uh, or yesterday, I went and I bought some ice cream. So Amber's going to be my Vanna White. I have some French vanilla with brownie ice cream from Cold Stone, and you're allowed to eat it during service. So I'm going to give it. Does anybody have a birthday today? And eat it before it melts. And we got a birthday yesterday? Yeah, uh, Evan did it. <laughs> Evan's not in here apparently. And we got, got a birthday this next week? Boom, second row. Jacqueline, you get ice cream. <laughs> if you don't want it, give it to somebody else to eat. I don't care. <laughs> Hunter's begging for ice cream on the front row. Okay, <laughs> it's my favorite ice So if you've ever been to Cold Stone, here's what happens at Cold Stone, right? They take a glob of ice cream and they just smack it on the stone, you know? And then they take and they press the ice cream in. And the reason I like the brownie is they take a whole brownie. It's not like little dumb bites like they have a DQ or something like that. It is a full brownie. And they stick the brownie on the ice cream. And if you've seen it, the lady takes the thing and she just, and they start stabbing the brownie. And they're doing this kind of thing and they're mixing the up. And in a matter of like 15 or 20 seconds, You've got this brownie has been broken and there's little speckles of brownie throughout the entire ice cream. Like you literally couldn't get the ice cream uh, or get the brownie back out of the ice cream. That's how mixed up it is. And I think this is what our lives are like. Like there are things that we add, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to our lives. And, And in time, it changes the composition of who we are. It literally changes us. We don't even realize it. And this is exactly what Daniel is going to address here in a moment. Before we dig into this story, though, I want to give us context. Remember, we always say context. What's the context of this passage? We've got to know what's going on. Okay, so the book of Daniel. We've got the people of God, the Israelites. And God said, if you're unfaithful, you're going to go into exile. What happens? They're unfaithful. So God raises up the Babylonian empire who comes and they destroy Jerusalem. They ransack it and they take the best of the best, the leaders, the royalty, all those people, and they take them and they exile them to Babylon, all right? And now they take the best of the best of the best, the smartest, the brightest, the best looking, and they bring them into the court of the king, and they begin to train them and indoctrinate them with the philosophies and the ideas of Babylon and how to worship all of their pagan gods. This is what they are teaching them. And this is who Daniel, and then the three that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four are these guys who are now brought into the court. And they are trying to serve their God. Remember, trying to be faithful to their God while living in Babylon. And the reason this has so much connection to us is it's exactly the state we find ourselves in. As followers of Christ, remember week number one we are exiles. This isn't our kingdom. This isn't our ultimate kingdom. No, we have allegiance to another king. And what we talked about in week number one is there's, there's a number of ways that there's pressures on us, as it was with Daniel. There's pressures to compromise. The first thing is a pressure to compromise your authority. Who is your ultimate authority? Where is your allegiance landing? The second thing, there's a pressure to compromise your values and your beliefs. What's the core of me? There's always these pressures, this. And the third thing, though, is this, is the pressure to to compromise your behavior and your lifestyle, and this is the one that we're going to see play out here this morning. So if you look at your uh, passage of scripture here in verse number five, we read this two weeks ago, it says that the king assigned them, being these four guys, assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's tables. We get to the beginning of this passage that we just read, and what is Daniel's response to this. Verse number eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. What's going on here? We talk about this word defile. What does the word defile mean? At times in Scripture, defile can mean sin. It means you've crossed a border somewhere, but it doesn't always mean sin. Sometimes it means something about it could be ceremonially unclean. You've done something to make you no longer clean ceremonially, but hey, the next day you're fine. There's issues of defilement that can be in a different spectrum. And as we're going to see in a moment, we're not really sure exactly what the meaning is to this. But there is something about this moment where he realizes this thing is going to defile me. Now, it could be that and some people, the experts, some people say, well, he might believe that this food was sacrificed to an idol or to a pagan god, so therefore he didn't want to eat this stuff. But there's no guarantee that the vegetables weren't sacrificed as well, right? It, some people think, well, maybe he was eating meats. They were eating meats that he as a Jew wasn't supposed to eat. doesn't say anything. The text doesn't say anything. As, it doesn't talk about sin. doesn't talk about wrong food. None of those things. It just simply says that Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself this way. It's as if Daniel said, this is a line in my life that I don't want to cross. It's not necessarily an issue of sin. This is just a line I don't want to cross. There's something about this decision that is going to get Babylon in me in a way I don't want it. Okay? It's not just the food. It's not just I'm literally eating food and getting Babylon in me. There's something about this that is going to change the composition of who I am. And I think this is kind of a funny line to draw. You think about the story. From last or two weeks ago, we talked about it. First, they changed his name. He didn't throw a stink about that, right? The next thing, they put him into this training, these course. It's like he's being trained in sorcery school. That's literally what's happened. He didn't draw a line there, but the food, oh, not gonna do that. There was something about this that was different for him. Do we know why? No, we don't. But I, but I think that this moment represents a moment that every single one of us faces. Remember, we are living in Babylon, okay? Just like Daniel. And on one hand, we could do this, we could revolt. Living in Babylon, we could revolt. We could withdraw from society, go live out in the wilderness somewhere, and you'll go live off the land, you know? I'm gonna have no part in culture. I'm not gonna buy anything that anybody has. That's what I'm gonna do. Some of you, that sounds really good. For me, I would be dead in like three days, okay? I can't feed myself off the land. I need some food, all right? I definitely need cold stone. But this is, this is one option, and I will say this. If God calls you to withdraw like that, to say, I'm not gonna have any part of this, All right, listen to his call and do that, okay? That's one option. The other option is we can go the other way and just fully compromise. Just say, hey, we're just going to go along with what everybody else says. Whatever the philosophies are, whatever's happening, we're just going to go around that way, okay? But Daniel expresses what I think is a third option for us. It's this option where he understands somehow I have to live in this world while at the same time not being defiled by this world. I don't know what exactly that looks like. I don't know what that means, but that is my heart. That is what I have to pursue. This is the tension that, as a follower of Christ, we have to deal with. We have to have this same perspective. Now, when you look at the rest of the story, okay, the rest of the story, what happens? Daniel says, all right, give me the vegetables. We just read it. They give him the vegetables. Turns out he's better looking than everybody else. He looks fresh. He looks amazing, whatever. I don't know. Uh, Some of you have maybe been on a Daniel fast. My definition of a Daniel fast is nothing fun, okay? You can't have anything fun on a Daniel fast. It's literally vegetables and water. And so he has the Daniel fast, and it's all good, like, and he's great. And at the end of the story, it says, because he's so good, there's blessing, he's smarter, all this blessing comes. And you can read the story and say, oh man, if you follow God's purposes and his ways, and you submit to his authority, everything is going to be good in your life. Kind of. Kind of. Because I don't want you to think, we had the youth this morning, I was saying, listen, if your belief is that if you follow after Christ and do everything he asks, and at every moment of every day, everything's just going to be blessing and good for you all the time, you're going to be sorely disappointed in life. Because guess what, sometimes following Christ actually means pain for you. It actually means challenge, it means difficulty. Because we are submitting to a different kingdom. But in the fullness of time, hear this, following Christ absolutely is blessing doing things his way, submitting to his will, submitting to his desires, that is what is best in the fullness of time, okay? But I don't think that's the point of this passage. That's not what we're looking at. I think the point of the story is this. If we, all of us, if we are Daniel living in Babylon, then the question is, what steps do we need to take in our life to ensure that we don't get mixed up in Babylon, Where are the lines in our lives? Where are the boundaries? Where are the borders that we need to draw? So I want to get to our big so what. We're going to get there early and then I'm going to kind of dig into this for the rest of the message. The big so what for this morning is this. Our goal is to live in Babylon without Babylon living in us. To live in Babylon without Babylon living in us. And hear this. This doesn't happen on accident. The natural flow of life is Babylon to be all over you. That's what's normal. If you're not intentional in this area, the way you think, the values you have are going to be just like the culture. I say this all the time. We just flow with the, the stream of culture, right? And we don't even realize that stream is eventually going to flow right off a cliff. But this is how we fall. If we're not intentional with what we're doing, if we're not intentional about what we value, if we aren't intentional about drawing borders around our lives and saying, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say no to that thing. If we're not intentional about that, then Babylon will get into our soul, and it will change the composition of who you are. Okay? Now, we have to understand the reality. Like, I'm not an idiot up here. Like, we have to have jobs, okay? (laughs) Like, you gotta buy clothes. I'm so glad you didn't show up naked this morning. Like, we have to buy stuff. You need to own things. Like, you're gonna need a car. Like, we live in Minnesota in January. It is very cold. You need to drive to work. Like, these are things that you need. And this is why I say this is attention. Because it isn't just like, I'm gonna sell everything and move into the wilderness. No, there's attention. You have to live in this world. Where is the line? I don't know for you exactly. But if we lose sight of the fact that we have to understand that Babylon is fighting for our soul, that if we lose that, then we're going to end up allowing too much Babylon in us and forget that we're in the middle of a fight. We're in the middle of a war, in the middle of a battle, all right? So where do we draw the lines in our life? Where do we do that? I think Daniel saw this in a moment in his life. Where do we intentionally say no in order to maintain spiritual purity in our lives? There's a verse that doesn't uh, get talked about all that often, and this is found in James chapter 1 verse 27. It says, "Religion that God our Father, accepts as pure and flawless is this: to look after ors- orphans and widows in their distress." In our culture, we like to put a period right there. right? Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, we should help, help the poor. That's a good thing. And hey, we should. But look at the rest of the sentence. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This word polluted is very similar to this idea of defilement, right? See, we don't talk about it. In our modern church culture, we like to talk a lot about just this loving Jesus. He just loves you. He cares for you. And he'll do, you know, it's all okay. There's grace and there's mercy, all those kind of things. But we don't want to talk about the Jesus who said, hey, be holy as I'm holy, right? Righteousness. There's something. If you're going to follow me, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to lay yourself down. That's a part of what it means to follow Christ. We don't do those things. We don't like to talk about those things, but that is absolutely what is going on here. Some of you will understand what I'm talking about in a moment. Um, I'm a church guy. Some of you are church people. I grew up in the church. My parents are believers. My grandparents are believers, Okay. And I've seen this play out in my own family, but I've also seen it play out in other people's families. Where someone will come to faith, there'll be somebody in your family that comes to faith, and they will run in the wrong direction. God radically saves them, and they turn from a bunch of stuff. They give up things, they turn things away, they say, I'm not going to do that thing, I'm never, never going to touch that again, I'm never going to do that again, right? And they turn, and they pursue righteousness and godliness with everything that they've got. But in, in time, they have children, In those children, when they look at those things that their parents said no to, they look at it and see it as do's and don'ts, and they see it as legalism. They miss the heartbeat that somebody was turning from things intentionally. They just see it as, oh, that's a rule, that's a rule. And in this society that's all about Jesus and grace and everything's good, what do we say? Well, legalism is wrong. So instead we say, well, I can do whatever I want to, right? That's no, you can't tell me not to do that. I can do that. It says I'm free in Christ, right? I'm free. Paul addresses this in the book of Corinthians, though. He says, listen, here's what it says. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial, right? Not everything is beneficial. Not everything is good for you. He goes on to talk about this in the book of Galatians, talks a lot about freedom, he says, listen, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, and you think, yeah, free, I'm free. All right, I can do whatever I want, but then he says, but do not let your freedom... uh, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, right? See, this is something that we deal with. I think sometimes there's issues of defilement that are sin for everybody, okay? Like there's a defiling things, absolutely. There are things that are very clear. The word of God is very clear about areas where this is sin, This this is defiling to anybody. But there are also issues where it isn't an issue of sin, it's just getting mixed up with the world. It's defiling you in a way that actually changes the composition of who you are. Is it sinful? Maybe not. But what it's producing in you is. What it, where it's taking you and leading you is toward death, right? It's really easy. Again, I'm a church kid. It was really easy when my parents would say, don't do that. I'm like, yeah, but I can. Like, that's not sin to do that thing. You know what? It might not be sin to do that thing, but it absolutely is defiling you. It's defiling your mind. It's defiling the way you see the world. It's defiling your worldview. It's defiling your perspective. It's defiling your values. It's defiling your future. These are things that we have to understand as a follower of Christ. And in a world that says, oh, just love and peace and Jesus, no, there is purity and righteousness and holiness that he's calling us toward. And I wouldn't be your pastor, I would not be a very good pastor if I didn't challenge us in this area, because this is the area we get real sloppy with these days, okay? Okay? So, there's a, there's a statement that I think we need to change. Um, it's a question that we'll ask, and you know what I'm talking about. When you're, you're a kid, you ask, well, your kids will ask you, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And as adults, we can think the same thing when it comes to our faith. Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? But I think this is the change we need to have. We need to go from can I to should I. Because you can ask yourself the question, can I do this? Yeah, sure you can. You have freedom. Should you? I don't know. Is it defiling you? Is it changing you? Is it, is it doing something negative in your home? Like there's times in my marriage where I might ask her, Amber, can I do this? And she says, you can. <laughs> 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 but we all know the result of that one, <laughs> okay? It's true, like I can do what I want, but how am I defiling this relationship in the process? Is this changing me? This is how it is with our God. So, what I want to do is, I want to I take this question change and I want to apply it to a few areas in our life. And as we close this, I, I just hope that the, the Spirit of God will take some of these ideas and speak them to your heart, make it very specific to where you're at. First question is What do you consume? What do you consume? See, Daniel was an issue of consuming. He didn't want to eat this food because he felt there was something about consuming this food that was going to defile him, going to change him. It was going to get too much of Babylon into him, and he did not want that. What do you consume? See, the reason I challenge you on a regular basis to get in the word of God is because if you are not consuming the truth, then you don't know when you see a lie. Okay? You just don't. You walk around, well, that sounds good. That sounds good. No, that sounds good. Everybody sounds good if you don't know what the truth is. People are smart. They know how to convince you. And they know how to say things in a way that makes you feel good about it. But you better know the truth. We got to be consuming the truth. But I know that for most of us, we a lot, consume a lot more of other things than we do this. We spend a lot more time consuming television. We spend a lot more time consuming movies. We spend more time consuming music, maybe reading books. We can spend more time, you know, uh, consuming social media. You know, some of us, we get that, that thing that tells us how much time we spend on our phones and we're a little ashamed of that. There's times when you consume uh, too much news. There's news all over the place, right? We consume it in every form and we're caught. And what you don't understand, is it sin? Not necessarily. But is it defiling you? Is it changing the way you think? Is it taking you the wrong direction? This happened to me a couple years ago. Um, and I get this wrong all the time, okay? So th- but this was a few years ago where I was watching a show, and to be honest, I love the show. To be honest, it's hilarious. And to be honest, ever since then, I still have wanted to watch this show. But several years ago, I said, no, I'm going to stop watching that show because there was something in that show that was just, it was defiling me. I, w- I felt like even though I thought it was funny, it was something like, nope, that's giving me some values that I don't think I need to have. And I said, I need to turn away from that. Was it sin to watch that show? I don't know but it absolutely was defiling. And see, that's what it means in our lives. This isn't an issue of where's the sin line, because I think we play that game. Is this sin or not sin? That's not the question. Should I? It's not can I, should I? Not can I, should I? Should I do this? What is this producing in me? Is it producing the fruit of the Spirit in me? It is producing life in me, or is it producing death? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. There are areas where where the thoughts and the philosophies of this world are getting into you. There may be that thing that you watch, that thing that you pay attention to. I don't know. Some show and the sexuality in that show is so contrary to the word of God, but you watch it so much that it actually is shaping the way you see sexuality in an unhealthy and an unbiblical way. You are becoming numb to sin because of what you're allowing yourself to consume. It's something we have to think about. You're like, Greg, you're you're preaching legalism out there. No, I'm calling us all to righteousness. Calling us all to say, God, would you make us more pure that we wouldn't be defiled? Because a hundred years from now, none of this matters except my relationship with Christ. And the same thing's true for you. Second one is this, how do you use your time? Again, all of us get this one wrong. What's the question I ask all the time? I say, how you doing? The biggest response, busy, right? We're all busy, All of us are busy. We got so much stuff going on. You can't do a group because you're so busy. Listen, if we allow the culture to determine, if we get that much Babylon into us, then we are going to miss out on the things that we desperately need. Like you're going to say no to the good stuff because you're so busy doing the stuff you shouldn't be doing. And the calling for us is if we're going to say, God, I don't want to be defiled by this world, then we have to get a hold of our schedule sometimes. And we maybe have to say no to something to draw some borders, not because it's sin, but because it's defiling you. What are you investing your energy in? What are you investing your time in? What am I investing my time and energy in? Is it leading me toward God? Is it me leading me toward righteousness? Or is it leading me away from him? We've got to ask those questions. Last one I want to bring up is how do you relate to your money and your stuff? I talk about money and stuff a lot because Jesus talked about money and stuff a lot. And there's a reason, because this is the greatest area, the easiest area for us to slip. It's the easiest area for us to get off course, to allow Babylon to get us, because listen, you are being fed over and over. Every day of every week, you're getting fed. You need more, you need more, you need more. The things will satisfy you. The things will make you happy. We all know it's a lie, but we're being indoctrinated by this all the time. And if we don't say no, if we aren't intentional, we're gonna flow with the stream and do what everybody else is doing. And this is a reason why I believe God gave us the principle of the tithe. He gave us a principle. Why? Because it forces us every single time to say, God, no, this is not my God. This money is not my God. It is you. I serve you. I submit to you. I put you first in my finances. That's why it's so important. Why do I I not feel bad about asking you to pay for this dumb audio system? I don't feel bad at all. You want to know why? Because the greatest antidote to selfishness is generosity. The greatest antidote to say give me is to say no, I'm going to give instead. And although yes, it's going to produce a system that's going to help us continue to minister to people, but even more than that, it's going to do something in your heart. As you say, God, this isn't about me. God, I want to look more like my Savior and less like me. Okay? Generosity. It's the antidote. Some of you need that. You're so caught up in the things, all the stuff. Begin to give. Look for ways to give. If we are not intentional, we will unintentionally be defiled. Changes. To remember that we are in a war all the time. And if we're not fighting that war, then we are losing in that war. Okay. As I was praying uh, this morning for this. I felt like God put a picture in my head, so I just want to share that with you. How many of you have ever gone, like, on an inner tube down, like, a little stream or a brook or something like that? Like, they do, like, water little rides or things like that. Okay, so if you've ever done this, usually it's just some little bubbling brook kind of thing. You know, they might be this deep or whatever. And you get in a little tube, and they take you to the top of the little stream, and you get in, and you float on the thing, right? And they float you down the stream. And when you do that, if you've ever been on one before, you just go wherever the current takes you, Right? Sometimes you bang your head on the rock on the side. Or you, get a, you get a tree branch scratch. Or you get a scratch. You scratch your butt underneath the tube, whatever it is, right? You just go wherever the water takes you. And I feel like that, to some extent, is where our church is at large. The Church of Jesus Christ at large. We are sitting in tubes, floating down the current of life and culture, not paying attention, not being intentional, right? But there's something that happens if you've ever done that. You get to the end of the ride, ride and you can see, oh, I'm supposed to get off here. It's a very simple thing you have to do. What do you do? Stand up. That's all you gotta do. Stand up. It doesn't matter. The current no longer is taking you because you now have control. You are being intentional about where you go. You stand up, you walk straight out the stream. There's nothing the stream can do to take you off. It's not like you're going down a raging rapids here, right? Just floating down a stream. And this is where our culture is at. If we as the church, we desperately need this. We need to stand up where we are and say, God, I am not going to flow with culture. I'm not going to just simply look for my boundaries where, oh, am I crossing in No, God, I'm going to draw the boundaries around my life that said, Lord, I want to seek purity. I want to seek righteousness. God, I do not want to be defiled by this world, and I'm going to intentionally take steps to make sure that doesn't happen. That's what every one of us needs. We've got to stand up. So my prayer for us as a church is that we would look different. Not because we're weird, not because we do crazy weird things, but because we would be those who, who care more about what God has to say than what anybody else has to say. We'd be those people who are pursuing to live in the tension. We're not just hermits living out in the forest somewhere. We are pursuing and dealing with the tension that is here. God, help me live for you while I reside in this kingdom. All right. Would you stand with me across the room? I think the starting point for this is uh, obviously we need a perspective change, but we have to start in in a posture of repentance, because I think if we are all honest, all of us in some area of our life have allowed there be things in our life that are defiling us in some way. We all allow things, whether it's our schedule, whether it's the stuff we do, it's the stuff we watch. There are things that we allow that we, if we're really honest, we know you know what that's probably not pointing me in the right direction. And I think our posture needs to be one of repentance. And so I'm going to, I just want to pray over us in a moment. But even before we do that, I'm going to ask you and invite you into a position of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is agreeing with what God says, saying that thing is sin. And so I'm going to turn away. And instead, God, I want to pursue and submit to you.